Welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Julia, today is a very special episode. It is. It's our 50th episode. Can you believe it's our 50th episode? I, I cannot can't believe, believe it. we've sat in this room and talked into microphones 50 times. 50 times. Over the course of a year, under a year, under a, a year, under a year, yeah, yeah. So for our fiftieth episode, we had had this in the works for a little bit of a time. Yeah, we've been thinking about it, and so we decided because we both love Seinfeld, it's the best show. Oh, it's the best show so much. It's actually one of the first things we bonded over hmm. when we first met. We're like, oh, you love Seinfeld? I love Seinfeld, <gasps> and we would quote Seinfeld back and forth to each other. And so we thought... Until we alienated everyone around us. And now we only have each other as friends. <laughs> it's amazing. It's funny because um, it's, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so uh, we, we felt that the only thing we could do was to have our 50th episode be an entirely Seinfeld-themed... All Seinfeld extravaganza. And all Seinfeld, all the time, all day, every day, Seinfeld, but for like an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. <laughs> Um, so th- we're going to have a little bit of a different format this yes. time. Um, Julia, why don't you tell our listeners what our format's going to sure. be? Sure. So Lauren and I have each written 15 questions about the f- best show. Side the best note. show ever. Um, but we're going to intersperse this with a couple of different segments where we're trying to teach you some things about the show and mm-hmm. the people on it and how it has affected our daily lives. Um, so whenever we get to question sections, we recommend that you have like a notepad or a sheet mm-hmm. of paper to write down your answers as we go because it's it's not really the same as our usual episodes. But we'll um, do questions throughout the show. We'll tell you what number they are. Yep. And then at the very end, we will... Um, um, go run through the answers, and then Lauren and I will compete against each other to see who answers more right and who is the biggest Seinfeld fan, me or her. Mm. So there you go. <sighs> it's probably going to be me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, All right. Julia, your uh, you had a, a quick intro a about quick the intro about, about the show. show. Yes, so um, just a refresher for everyone if you've been under a rock or yeah. The past 25 years. Yeah. Um, Seinfeld ran for nine seasons on NBC from 1989 to 1998. It was created by Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld, with Jerry starring as a fictionalized version of himself. Set primarily in an apartment building in Manhattan's Upper West Side in New York City, the show features a handful of Jerry's friends and acquaintances, including best friend George Costanza, former girlfriend Elaine Bennis, and neighbor across the hall, Kramer. It is often described as being a show about nothing, as many of its episodes are about the minutia of daily life. It is widely considered to be one of the greatest and most influential sitcoms ever made. And um, the creators of the show had a motto that was no hugging, no learning. They didn't want anything (laughs) to be like sentimental. They didn't want their characters to like, you know, grow from their experiences. So no, no hugging, no learning. And as of 2017, the show has made an estimated 4.06 billion dollars in syndication that's incredible that's great and it's well deserved because again it's the greatest show yeah lauren do you have any like personal experiences do i about the show oh my gosh you want to share well um first of all 
Uh, how I used to describe my father in college was he is a cross um, between uh, Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Ray Romano. <laughs> if if the two of them were one person, it would be my dad, but without like the weird voice. And um, I I started watching Seinfeld later in life, mm-hmm. like high school yeah. into college. Because we were babies. We were very young when, the, when it first it started airing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I can watch an episode of Seinfeld anywhere I am. I, I have seen every episode probably 75 right. times, but I will still laugh at every joke. Mm-hmm. I'll say the joke. I'll mm-hmm. repeat it back to the t- I'll say the joke before the joke airs. Yeah. And then they'll say the joke. And then I laugh. <laughs> I laugh twice. I laugh when I say it, and then I laugh when they say it. Ugh. And that's the mark of a really good show. Yeah, absolutely. I find it very comforting, too. When it's on TV, I'll just watch Seinfeld Yes, for an entire day. Yeah. And it's perfectly comforting. It's great. How about you? Um, oh, in 2014. So, okay. like, before Seinfeld was streaming on Hulu like it is now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I embarked on my own summer of George where I watched every <laughs> single episode of Seinfeld with DVDs and a DVD oh, yeah. player. And it was, it was a, you know, it was, it was a momentous, a uh, <laughs> you know, it was a momentous occasion. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Um, and then for my 30th birthday party, we did a Seinfeld themed party. Uh, this was the best party I have ever attended <laughs> and participated in. Everyone was, Julia was Elaine Bennis. Uh-huh. You were early Elaine Early Bennis. Elaine with the big curly bouffant. And you wore like the long mm-hmm. uh, dress, floral mm-hmm. dress with the little little shoes, little yep, Mary socks Janes. with my brogues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was... Um, Lauren was Sue Ellen Mischke. I was Sue Ellen Mischke. I wore a blazer and a blue bra and pants. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve was the soup Nazi. Uh-huh. But the, one of the best parts was, and, and Josh, of course, was Kramer because mm-hmm. uh, he's tall. Um, and we, and he found a brown suit, I think. Uh, but the best part was your entire apartment was covered in movie posters, fake movie posters yes. that you had photoshopped of all of the fake movies that mm-hmm. had been in Seinfeld. Uh, um, we had Seinfeld themed food and drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren was in charge of the the playlist, and I still have the playlist on Spotify. By the way, you guys. Yeah. So if you want access to that playlist, it's very good. Yeah. It's like every song that has ever been featured in Seinfeld. <laughs> it's excellent. And every, and actually, this week when I was doing research for this, I was listening to it in the background, mm. and it brought back wonderful memories. That's great. It was great. Um, and we did a candy bar lineup. Oh, we did. It says candy bar lineup. <laughs> yeah. So. It was it was fun to put together. Oh, it was a great party. We should do it again. Um, we'll launch into our, our first segment. Yes, please. Um, we're going to talk about um, the some quick and dirty bios of the forecast members. Ooh, good, okay. All right. So you got your you got your number one. Yeah, you Jerry Seinfeld, born Jerome Allen Seinfeld in 1954. Um, he ultimately was in 180 episodes of the show Seinfeld. Um, he was born in Brooklyn to Hungarian Jewish father and a Syrian Jewish mother. Um, he grew up in Massapequa, New York, and attended Massapequa High School on Long Island. He later went to SUNY Oswego and then to Queens College, um, City University of New York, graduating with a degree in communications and theater. 
Uh, Jerry did stand up and open mic nights in New York City in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, And in May 1981, he made a successful appearance on The Tonight Show, impressing Johnny Carson in the audience and leading to frequent appearances on that show and others, including Late Night with David Letterman. So Jerry created the Seinfeld Chronicles with Larry David in 1988 for NBC. The show was later renamed Seinfeld to avoid confusion with the short-lived teen sitcom The Marshall Chronicles. After Seinfeld, um, Jerry returned to stand-up. He co-wrote and produced B-Movie in 2007. He produced a two-season show, The Marriage Ref. He cameoed as himself on 30 Rock, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and other shows by friends of his. In 2012, he started the web series Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which is now available on Netflix. Um, He is an automobile enthusiast, and he owns a large Porsche collection. Mm. He's also very big into transcendental meditation. Really? Yes. He's been doing it for like 40 years or something. Keeps him real calm. Yeah. Uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee is great, Ugh. especially since the episodes are only like 12 to 15 minutes long. Yeah. It's, you can just let it run on Netflix and just laugh your butt off. Yeah. You get He's a, fabulous. And you l- learn a lot of good tidbits about people. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a good, like, easy conversation with people that are famous. Yes. What more could you want from that? <laughs> Uh, Jerry married Jessica Seinfeld, nay Sklar, in 1999, and they have one daughter and two sons. Next up, Jason Alexander. Love him. Do you know what his real name is? Uh, it is, I think it's J. Allen Greenspan or something Very close. like that. Yeah, okay. J. Scott Greenspan. J. Scott yeah. Greenspan. But, wow. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I know. So, um, <laughs> Jason Alexander was born J. Scott Greenspan in 1959, and he was ultimately in 178 episodes of Seinfeld. Jason Alexander, who this is how I'll refer to him, he was born in Newark, New Jersey, to Ruth Minnie, a nurse and healthcare administrator, and Alexander B. Greenspan, an accounting manager, whose first name Jay later borrowed to create his stage name. He grew up in Livingston, New Jersey, and attended Boston University, but left the summer before his senior year after getting work in New York City. At BU, he wanted to pursue classical acting, but a professor redirected him toward comedy after noticing his physique, remarking, I know your heart and soul are Hamlet, but you will never play Hamlet. That's so cruel. (laughs) I know, right? Especially since... Have you ever seen him dance? I mean, he dances a little bit on Seinfeld, but my God, what a light. He has such a light touch and an elegant form just because he's got a round little body. You're too stocky. You're too stocky. (laughs) He's done well for himself. Yeah. Um, He is a practicing magician. Um, He switched to acting as a career only after deciding that he was unlikely to succeed professionally in a magic. Oh, okay. Career. So magic, no money. Acting. Yeah. I mean, for him, obviously, was very successful, yeah. <laughs> but not that's not par for the course. Right. Um, Jason Alexander began his acting career on the New York stage and is an accomplished singer and dancer, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. On Broadway, he appeared in Merrily We Roll Along, The Rink, Broadway Bound, Accomplice, and Jerome Robbins's Broadway, for which he won the nineteen eighty nine Tony Award for Best Leading Actor in a Musical. Great. Then he did Seinfeld. After Seinfeld in 2001, uh, Jason Alexander starred in the heavily promoted but short-lived ABC sitcom Bob Patterson, which was canceled after five episodes. And then the CBS sitcom Listen Up uh, ran from 2004 to 2005 and was canceled. Um, He was also been in a lot of movies we've seen. Uh, Pretty Woman, uh, Dunstan Checks In. Of course. And and Shallow Hal, to name a few. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So um, Jason Alexander has been married to Dana E. Title since 1982, and they have two sons. That's lovely. Yeah. Uh, next up, Michael Richards, born yes. Michael Richards in oh, 1949. Good. He was in 178 episodes of Seinfeld. 
Um, he was born in Culver City, California, the son of a medical records librarian and an electrical engineer. He graduated from Thousand Oaks High School and was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1970. Oh, wow. He trained as a medic and was stationed in West Germany. After being honorably discharged, he used the GI Bill to enroll in the California Institute of the Arts, and he received a BA degree in drama from the Evergreen State College in 1975. He met Larry David when he was a cast member and when Larry was a writer on the ABC show Fridays in 1980. Mm. So that was like ABC trying to get in on like the late night comedy okay. sketch yeah. thing. Didn't super work out, but um, uh, Michael Richards was in bit parts in TV until he was cast as Kramer on Seinfeld in 1989, for which he won three Emmys. Wow. After Seinfeld, uh, he created the Michael Richards show for NBC in 2000, which was canceled shortly thereafter. Um, hmm. In 2006, (laughs) he shouted a racially charged response to a crowd at a stand-up show in LA, and a tape was released of that incident. He publicly apologized on The Late Show and to several leaders in the African-American community. In a 2012 episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Seinfeld, uh, Richards admitted that the outburst still haunted him and was a major reason for his withdrawal from performing stand-up. Richards has been married twice, first to Kathleen Lyons, a family therapist with whom he has one daughter, and he has been married to Beth Skip since 2010. Well, it's not nice. Yeah, that episode of him uh, with Jerry Seinfeld and Comedians in Cars was very good. It Mm -hmm. was, um, I think it was, it was meant to be cathartic and it was cathartic. I think it, it presented him in a good light. It allowed him to kind of, I don't know. uh, Redeem himself to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know. Yeah. What you think of him is what you think of him. Yeah. So. And it's faded. I mean, I guess it's faded a little from our yeah. memories at this point. I mean, it was 12 years ago. Yeah. Can you even imagine? 12 oh, years man. ago. And last but not least, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Love her. She was born Julia Scarlett Elizabeth Louis-Dreyfus in 1961, and she was ultimately in 177 episodes of Seinfeld. She was born in New York City to an American-born mother, Judith, who was a writer and special needs tutor, and her French-born father, Gerard Louis-Dreyfus. She is a great-great-granddaughter of Leopold Louis-Dreyfus, who in 1851 founded the Louis-Dreyfus Group, a French commodities and shipping conglomerate, which members of her family control still into the 21st century. She spent her childhood in several states and countries in connection with her stepfather's work, and she graduated from the Holton Arms School in Bethesda, Maryland in 1979 and attended Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. She became a member of the Second City Troop in Chicago, and she was cast in SNL in 1982 at age 21. Wow. The youngest female cast member in the program's history. That's amazing. She met Larry David in 1985 there during his only year on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, she was ultimately cast as Elaine Bennis in Seinfeld. Of course. Hooray. And after Seinfeld, in 2002, she began a new NBC single camera sitcom, Watching Ellie, which was canceled in 2003. She went on to do a few episodes of Arrested Development. Uh, yes. <laughs> A very and, memorable run in yes. Arrested Development. And this is when people started to, to question, oh, is there a Seinfeld curse? Yeah. Because we just talked about how the Michael Richards show mm-hmm. got canceled and Jason Alexander had his two shows that got canceled and then yep. here we are watching Ellie gets canceled. Nah, there, no. There ain't no curse. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's CBS sitcom, The New Adventures of Old Christine, ran from 2005 to 2010, and she won some awards there. In her acceptance speech for an Emmy, um, she held up her award and exclaimed, I'm not someone who really believes in curses, but curse this, baby. (laughs) And then, of course, Veep. 
Yes. Which she's been on from 2012 to the present. She has six consecutive wins for Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. And as of 2017, she holds the record for the most Primetime wins as an actor for the same role. And she's tied with Cloris Leachman for the most acting Primetime Emmy wins wow, total. With that's eight. amazing. Mm-hmm. Her film roles have included Hannah and Her Sisters, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and Enough Said. And she has voiced several roles in animated films, including A Bug's Life. On September 28, 2017, Julia Louis-Dreyfus announced on Twitter her diagnosis of breast cancer, a diagnosis she received one day after receiving a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for her role in Veep. In her announcement on Twitter, she stated, One in eight women get breast cancer. Today, I'm the one. The good news is that I have the most glorious group of supportive and caring family and friends and fantastic insurance through my union. The bad news is not all women are so lucky, so let's fight all cancers and make universal health care a reality. She's so, so lovely. Yeah, she's been super high spirits mm-hmm. throughout all of it. And I follow her on Instagram, and she's also a very supportive mom. Yeah. Her son, I think, is a DJ or something. <laughs> and God yeah. bless her. She, she like advertises all of his gigs and stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're so nice. Yeah. <laughs> she, and she's been married to Brad Hall since 1987, Which and they have really two sweet. sons. Yeah. Um, in 2018, it was announced that she would be the recipient of the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, presented by the Kennedy Center as America's highest comedy honor. That's so, wonderful. Crowning achievement. Um, I read an article uh, in Rolling Stone, because Rolling Stone had like the 25th anniversary of Seinfeld or something. They had a whole mm-hmm. um, uh, edition that was just about Seinfeld. And uh, in it, they ranked all the actors that have ever appeared on Seinfeld yeah. from 100 to 1. And uh, number four was Michael Richards. Uh-huh. Number three was Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> number two was George Costanza. And number one was Elaine Bennis. That's and I was awesome. like, someone knows what's up. Yeah. Because she was great. And she was kind of the unsung, hilarious character. in Because, right. I mean, Michael Richards is very broad. Mm-hmm. He's very, like physical comedy and jerry was you know he was like the the center of the the whole seinfeld universe of course like observational comedy but elaine and george was like the id yeah but elaine was uh very funny and charming and kind of a like an uh, an unseen female character personality at that time so she's great pioneer love her all right. All right, here we We're go. We're going to move on to our first um, section of questions. So right, you I'm might want to get out a pencil and paper. I've got um, pencil and, and paper. we're going to go back and forth with our questions. So. <laughs> Question one. Seinfeld happens to be one of the few television shows that people seem to know precise episode titles. Thankfully, because the title usually relates to one of the main plot lines. Out of the show's 180 episodes, only one of them does not begin with the article, The. Can you think all the way back to season one and pull it out? Question number two. In the episode, The Yada Yada, Jerry's recently converted dentist for the jokes. Tim Watley asks his hygienist for a blank of fluoride. Was it A, a schmear, B, a shtickle, C, a schlep, or D, a shalom. Question three. On the way to an upstate cabin deep in pie country in season four, what game did George Costanza and his girlfriend Susan Ross end up playing with Donald Sanger? Question number four. In the fourth season episode, The Implant, 
Kramer is convinced he saw Salman Rushdie at his health club, but was using an assumed name. What was the pseudonym? Question five. He's a loathsome, offensive brute, yet I can't look away. In the season three episode, The Letter, Kramer poses for a portrait for Jerry's artist girlfriend. An art-loving elderly couple admires the painting. Which of the following phrases is not mentioned by the couple to describe Kramer's portrait? A. A sexually depraved miscreant. B. A stupid hipster doofus. C. An innocent orphan in the postmodern world. Or D. A man-child crying out for love. Question number six. There have been a lot of recognizable actresses and comedians who have played Jerry's many girlfriends. Out of the following list, who hasn't been subject to Jerry's whims? A. Terry Hatcher. B. Alexandra Wentworth. C. Sarah Silverman. Or D. Courtney Cox. Question seven. In the season three episode, The Library, Jerry learns that he has an overdue library fine that has been compounding since 1971. Who is the author of the book that Jerry failed to return to the New York Library more than 20 years earlier? Question number eight. In the second season episode, The Heart Attack, Jerry wakes up in the middle of the night with an amazing joke that he writes down, which he can't decipher the next day. What was the four-word phrase that he wrote, which was ultimately not that funny? Question nine. During season four, George's parents, Frank and Estelle Costanza, are on the verge of getting divorced when some crossed phone lines and a wise conversation convince Estelle to stay married to her husband. A woman named Donna Chang helps Estelle change her mind by quoting to her from which Chinese teacher and philosopher? Question number 10. Speaking of the heart attack, typically cheap George goes to a holistic healer who has him drink a special tea, which sends him to the hospital after turning what color? All right. So that was our first batch of questions. Those are good. So now my segment is going to be the songs of Seinfeld. Mm, So again, because I was listening to my, um, my Spotify playlist, let me know you guys, if you want access to that Spotify playlist, because if you're having a Seinfeld, really wants to share it. (laughs) Also, if you're having a Seinfeld party, it's great. Yeah. So I broke down the different kinds of songs that are featured in Seinfeld. So I've broken them down into four categories. So the first one is the running joke category. Yes. The second one is the integral to the plot category. Yes, that's clutch. The third is atmospheric Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the fourth is one-off jokes. Oh, man. Great. So the running joke, I'm sure you, if as soon as I say it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Morning Train 9 to 5 by Sheena Easton is featured in two episodes, which is The Butter Shave and The Bizarro Jerry. Mm-hmm. And it's played over silent film footage of in The Butter Shave. It's Kramer working at a job that he doesn't. <laughs> work at for real but he goes to work every day yeah so while he's like getting on the train while he's getting into work while he's like laughing with some co-workers around the water cooler they play morning train nine to five by sheena easton um in the bizarro jerry george uh works at play now and he does a terrible job so they try and fire him but his contract isn't up yet so they play morning train over the footage of him being uh, assaulted at work because everyone hates him or being screamed at or being locked in his office. 
Um, and every time I hear that song, all I think That's of all is, you think about. is Seinfeld. <laughs> so songs that are integral to the plot are songs like Desperado by the Eagles. Mm. That was in the episode, The Checks, where Elaine is dating a guy who his song, his personal <laughs> song is Desperado. And whenever it comes on the radio, it, he goes to another mm-hmm. place and he tells her to shut the hell up. Yeah. So in, in this kind of category, it's integral to the, pr- the plot. They talk about it. Yeah. Why is it Desperado? <laughs> You're out riding fences. She tries to convince him that they should do another Eagle song for their song, Witchy Woman or Witchy Woman. Witchy Woman. Mm-hmm. So that's integral to the plot. Another one is one of my favorite episodes, which is the bottle deposit. Um, George's boss tells him to go downtown. And so the Petula Clark song, mm-hmm. Downtown, features very prominently because George didn't follow his boss into the bathroom when he was telling him a very important <laughs> project. And so he has to decipher through the lyrics of the song. I'm not following anybody into the bathroom. I'm not following anybody in the bathroom when they tell me to, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So again, Downtown is integral to the plot. So atmospheric is just one-off songs that are just either played in scene or they're played over footage. So wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys plays when um, Kramer is in the Hamptons in the episode, the Hamptons, (laughs) he's pretending to be a lifeguard. He's running along the beach. He's having a beautiful day and nothing is better as an atmospheric song. than wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys (laughs) or anything by the Beach Boys, honestly. Uh, in the episode, The Slicer, where um, Elaine is trapped in her apartment <laughs> yeah. and the cat next door is meowing very loudly, she turns on the radio to drown out the sound of the cat meowing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Slow Ride by Fog Hat and Inagata Davida by Iron Butterfly play throughout the scene. <laughs> and it just seems to be like a random, like, this is what's on the radio. Yeah. But hearing Slow Ride at like... 11 volume while she's screaming into the telephone to get the um, the locksmith to her apartment is great. So one-off jokes are kind of a mix between atmospheric and integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. So it's a one-off, like, this is a funny song. This is a funny song we're talking about. This is incidental, but it's not a part of a plot line. Yeah. It's just kind of something funny. So a perfect example is George's uh, remix of The Greatest American Hi- Hero... Oh, yes. On his phone machine uh, from the Susie, the episode mm-hmm. the Susie, and it's not really mentioned in the show. Like he's sitting at home, he's eating a bag of popcorn. His his phone rings, and his uh, voicemail clicks on. It's not a voicemail; it was his message machine, his answering machine. His answering machine clicks on, and it comes up. And I don't know how he did this, George, not. You know, Jason Alexander. Right. But the music comes up. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Just please leave a message at the beep. I must be out or I'd pick up the phone. Where could I be? Believe it or not, George is not home. It's great. It's catchy. You hear it at least twice in the episode. And it's not acknowledged by any other character. No. It's amazing. And the best part about that is that while this is playing... He's just sitting eating popcorn and he's just reacting to it. Oh, yeah. He dances a little bit. He does the shrug where he's like, where could oh, I be? Where could I be? It's great. It's great physical comedy. So that's a great one-off joke in Seinfeld. <laughs> Another one is in The Little Kicks. 
Elaine can't dance. Nope. Her thumbs go out, her little kicks. It's great. The song Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire plays during her work party. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opening, like, is so good. And again, I can't listen to the opening of Shining Star <laughs> with the horn blasts without thinking of, well, first, Jay Peterman dancing and everyone going, ooh. <laughs> but also, Elaine Bennis doing a full body dry heave. Set to music. Set to music. Thank you. And then finally, my favorite one-off joke is there, there in the episode "The Blood." Uh, Kramer and Newman are in Jerry's kitchen making sausages, and this song called "Manana" is soon enough for me by Jackie Davis plays in the background, and I'm going to play a little clip for it, and it is so funny because they are furiously making sausage. And every time I even think of that scene, I bust up laughing. It's so good. The song is like perfect for them to be dancing to the song. They're dancing. They're making sausage so fast. And the song just makes it absolutely perfect. So that's one of my favorite one-off musical jokes in Seinfeld. There's also quite a bit of opera, thanks to Crazy Joel DiBola, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in the episode The Opera as well as the maestro in the episode, the maestro and the entire Jerry plot of the barber where the barber of Seville plays throughout most of the Mm -hmm. scenes with him and his barber. Right. Uh, in addition, Broadway musicals has have also made an appearance on Seinfeld. Um, Jason Alexander, as you had mentioned, is a trained musical theater actor and he sings master Master of the the house. house. Yep. Constantly (laughs) during the episode, the jacket and also, not for nothing, but Julia Louis-Dreyfus has a great singing voice. Uh, it's most notable during the episode, The Maestro, where she sings a line or two of La Donna Mobile while getting into Bob's car, but also when she makes a surprise appearance at Crazy Joe Davola's apartment, um, and he asks her to come into his dark room, and she goes, <laughs> no thanks, I'm a day person. And she hits a beautiful note, and it is so. that's another episode <laughs> that's that I line. always, it's my favorite line. Uh, finally, there are a lot of fictional movies in the Seinfeld universe, but only one became a musical. Uh, Rochelle, Rochelle. Uh, Bette Midler was the star, and Jerry's weepy girlfriend was the understudy in the episode The Understudy. Yes. And additionally, Kramer accidentally won a Tony for Scarsdale Surprise, <laughs> which starred Raquel Welch yeah. in the episode The Summer of George. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know that it was supposedly based on the murder of Dr. Herman Tarnauer? Apparently, Dr. Herman Tarnauer, he was a White Plains cardiologist who authored the book, The Complete Scarsdale Medical Diet, and he was murdered by his lover, Gene Harris, in 1980. It was a real thing. There was a TV movie made about it. Mm -hmm. There was a book. There were several articles. Um, And my favorite part of that, and I had no idea until I did the research on this. Oh, man, okay. I thought Scarsdale Surprise was just like a made-up thing that Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld thought was funny. Um, but my favorite is Raquel Welch when she's like practicing in the mirror in the episode. She goes, you're a fraud, Dr. Tarnor. You haven't even been to Scarsdale. And I had no idea what that was about. I had, I just thought it was like a funny thing. But mm-hmm. I was learning a lot during oh. my research for this. So there you have it. That's awesome. And those are just a few of the songs oh, yes. of Seinfeld. Yeah. Lauren will tweet out her link to the Spotify oh, yeah. playlist for my, yes. too for, mm-hmm. for more listening. It's called Seinfeld Party. I made it for your party. That's great. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Time for the next question segment. All right. 
Question 11. Speaking of music, one of Elaine's memorable boyfriends is Bob Cobb, a conductor who prefers to be called maestro even while in street clothes. When Elaine balks at this... Maestro argues that this man, who conducted the New York Philharmonic, got to be called Maestro, even in social situations. Who is the composer of West Side Story and former director of the New York Philharmonic that the Maestro is emulating? Question number 12. In the seventh season episode, The Wig Master, George has an unwanted house guest, Susan's friend Ethan, who is the aforementioned Wig Master. What Broadway show was he mastering wigs on? Question 13. The sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. When George, pretending to be a marine biologist to impress an old college crush, makes his way into the waters toward a beached whale, I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. He realizes that something is obstructing the great beast's blowhole. What was the object that George plucked from the great fish, mammal, whatever? Question number 14. In the sixth season episode, The Mom and Pop Store, George buys John Voight's car, that's John with an H, and sings, Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Driving around in John Voight's car. What real song is he modifying? Question 15. In the season seven episode, The Hot Tub, Elaine hosts a marathon runner named Jean Paul who had previously overslept and missed the Olympics four years ago. Jerry becomes obsessed with making sure John Paul, who hails from the southernmost nation of the West Indies in the Caribbean, will wake up in time for the New York City Marathon. From what country is John Paul visiting to run the marathon? And hint, its capital city rhymes with Elaine. Question number 16. In the ninth season episode, The Cartoon, Elaine stays up all night in order to write a New Yorker cartoon, only to discover she subconsciously lifted the joke from what comic? Question 17. Europeans with the Beaujolais and Chardonnay. In the season five episode, The Dinner Party, George hates the annoying little chore of bringing something to a party to which they were all invited. Elaine says that they can't only bring one bottle of wine. They have to stop at a bakery for a cake too. What food and drink pairing does George say that if he brought, he would become the biggest hit at the party? Question number 18. What was the name of the publishing company that Elaine worked for? Question 19. They named names. Elaine's boyfriend, Ned, leaves an American Communist Party newspaper at her apartment, and George ends up calling one of the women who posted a personal ad in the paper due to a very enticing line. What's the name of this newspaper, which in real life ceased publication in 1958 due to dwindling membership in the Communist Party USA? And question number 20. How many jobs has George had throughout the series? Real, not pretend, and not including his frequent unemployment or the summer of George. All right. I want to talk about the foods of Seinfeld because they often also play an integral part in the show, whether they are a one-off joke or are part of the main plot. So I like to think of it as pretend we're at a New York City bodega, which is divided up by sections. Great. I love All right? that. That's good. So first we're going to go in the produce section and we're going to get some Mackinac peaches. Oh. Those are the ones from Oregon that are only ripe for two weeks a year. All right. Yeah. Uh, then we're going to pick up some mangoes. Yes. I think it moved. <laughs> and uh, you want to make sure you get some Hampton tomatoes too, because George's mother loves them. Oh, Can't she get enough loves of those them. Hampton tomatoes. 
If you go through the baked goods section, you got to get a chocolate babka because you oh, can't yeah. beat a babka. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. They do have a cinnamon babka, though. Nah, it's the lesser babka. <laughs> it's the lesser babka. Uh, a marble rye. Yep. Because you old bag. <laughs> Give me that rye. That was a very good episode. Yeah. And that just... was one that was like a flash. It was also flashback to in a later, you know later episode too. and he tore that marble rye from her arms like it was his last day on earth it was great <laughs> and you can see him kind of like break up in that scene too that yeah. he's like could not take how funny that was yeah you can get some entman's cake mm-hmm. it uh it's not from the bakery it's from a case at the end of the aisle of course but okay you get some poppy seed bagels but you got to make sure you don't have a drug test coming up exactly um some black and white cookies mm-hmm. naturally you got to look to the cookie Yes. Um, and I still call them black and white cookies, but here in Rochester, they call them half moon cookies. And it has taken me the longest time to also call them half moon cookies. And I probably only say that half the time. So um, I think it's upstate. They're called half moon cookies. Uh-huh. I think north of like Westchester, they're called half moon cookies, but downstate they're black and white. I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but that's, that's yeah. what I've discovered i don't know why either um and here's the thing that was in the show that i was unfamiliar with was drake's coffee cake yeah i've never had drake's coffee cake i don't know if that's a specifically new york thing or like a super east coast border thing or whatever it must be but uh drake's coffee cake plays a key role in the coma episode yes um that's the one with the sweet brown crumbs on top yes they make sure to, to reiterate that um also, pies, you know, yeah. you got blueberry, blackberry, blackberry, boysenberry, boysenberry, huckleberry, huckleberry, raspberry, raspberry, strawberry, strawberry, cranberry, and peach. peach. Yeah. <laughs> so Julia was horrified to find out that I did not memorize the pies in the Hamptons <laughs> like she had. And now she rubs it in my face. <laughs> I don't whenever, think that's no, no. true. It's just whenever we talk about pie. I try to get the bit going. No, but I know, no one but else I can don't get in with me, and that's what it is. Yeah, no, I get it. It's it's tough being it's, alone. This on is island. a me problem, yeah. <laughs> not a you problem. <laughs> but still, I should probably. I'm such a fan of Seinfeld. I never, I never learned the pie <laughs> order. <laughs> <laughs> so that's on me. So I think that's more of a oh. me thing. But we're yes. working through some things here, folks. Yeah. If you're going to the canned and shelf stable foods oh, in sure, your bodega, yeah. you got to get some pretzels, of course. But get some water Frequently, too. They'll make, they'll you, make thirsty. you thirsty. Yeah, um, you can get some chips and salsa, but you got to make sure no double dipping. Nope. Um, cereal all day, any day. Yeah. Any meal, any kind. <laughs> yep. Bowls Prizes or not. Um, beefarino isn't a real thing, which made me sad because <laughs> it has such a catchy jingle in the show. It's I'm so keen mm-hmm. on beefarino. Um, so that's one thing that that Kramer buys in bulk at the store at the one store, and then yes. ends up feeding it to the horse Rusty, and that didn't go over well no, because horses not. are not supposed to eat beefarino. Also, horses can't throw up. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, that's why um, colic, like horses get colic. Oh. Uh, it's they can't throw up. So if they have something that's really hurting their tummy in a bad way, um, sometimes a lot of times they die from it <gasps> because they can't like bring Aww. it up. Yeah, it's awful. That's sad. So there you go. Sorry to bring this bit of sadness into our eyes. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pony. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Um, If you're going by the dairy case, you got to pick up a block of cheese the size of a car battery. Yes. 
because that's really all you need. That's all you need for the summer of George. Um, in the frozen section, you'll want to get some non-fat frozen yogurt. Yes. It's because it's so good. <laughs> you can so say they it. thought. <laughs> um, and you might want to pick up some stuff for to make some hot fudge ice cream sundaes. Mm-hmm. Hey, buddy, they got a new invention. It's called a napkin. <laughs> All right. And beverages, of course. Um, some Hennigan scotch. Yes. No smell, no tell, just scotch. That's also not a real product. but Yeah, which made me very sad. Yeah. It's good. They made up such good things. Yeah. And it, blended them seamlessly into the show to make you feel like. Like, oh, were, that must be a New yeah. York thing or that yeah. must be a downstate thing. Yeah. Yep. You'll want to buy some peach schnapps because you know why. It'll open up the vault. It's the key to the vault. It's the yeah. key to the vault. Um, Snapple. Yeah. You know, it is too fruity for some people, but yeah. you know. <laughs> That's true. Any, Snapple's good anytime. Um, if Morgan Springs and Poland Creek Bottled Water Companies had merged, um, we would have Molin Springs Molin Water. Molin Springs, yes. And another thing I was unfamiliar with uh, until I looked it up too, really, was Bosco. Yes. So that is a chocolate syrup. Yes. It's like Bosco. Yeah. Bosco. It's like <laughs> it's like Hershey syrup, basically. Yeah. Um, and it was also George's ATM pin. Um, I learned that Bosco chocolate syrup was used was the product used as fake blood in Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho during oh, hey. the shower scene. Yeah, because it's dark and opaque. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, because it's going to be black and white anyway. Yeah. I also thought, I and don't quote me on this, guys, but I thought Bosco was um, kosher. It might be. I think that's like the alternative. It's still around. They're still making Mm -hmm. it. So I think it's like the kosher version of like Hershey syrup or whatever. Great. Yeah. Bosco. Bosco. And then finally, if you're in the candy aisle, basically (laughs) candy happens in Seinfeld so frequently. Yeah. Um, Juji fruit. Yes. Sometimes you just have to stop that'll, off for juji fruit. That'll ruin a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, Henry. Yes. Obviously. Um, Pez, although that might not be appropriate at a piano recital. Mm-hmm. Uh, junior mints. Yes. It's so refreshing. Who's going to turn down a junior mint? I, in college, everyone, you know, like you'd get a junior mint. I'd be like, oh, they're so refreshing. No Nobody. one would get my reference. No. I felt like an old lady. It's chocolate. It's peppermint. It's delicious. It's so refreshing. <laughs> no one got it. They were like, we get it, Lauren. You like junior mints. <laughs> I don't get it. It's like, fine. Uh, Twix bars. They're the only oh, candy yeah. with the cookie crunch. Delicious. My favorite candy bar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's a real crowd pleaser. I don't know anybody who would ever turn down a Twix. Like, no thanks. I don't want caramel and cookie enrobed in chocolate. No thank you. You You know what else is really good? The peanut butter Twix. Mm. Oh, delicious. Absolute heaven. You don't have the caramel, but that peanut butter, it's clutch. Mm. Yeah, I love so candy bar innovations. Oh yeah, we should do. We it. we've been alive for like the prime. Oh yeah, we're we're in the golden age of candy bars, yeah. Julia. It's great. <laughs> and the last one that's um, that's clutch to Seinfeld is the Snickers bar. Oh yeah, and but you might have to eat it with a knife and a fork. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to share about that was foods excellent. in Seinfeld. And our last quiz segment. Are you ready? I'm totally ready. Okay. Question 21. Kramer comes up with the idea for a cologne that smells like the beach. 
he pitches it to a guy in the marketing department of which American fashion house that later, shockingly, produces a cologne called Ocean without giving him any credit. Question number 22. What is Elaine Bennis's sister's name? Question 23. In the episode The Cadillac, Elaine is George's alibi from Susan so that he can go on a date with Marissa Tomei. Elaine and George concoct the story that he needs to spend time with her to talk out her problems with her boyfriend, Art Vandelay, an importer-exporter. He's thinking of quitting the exporting and just focusing on the importing. Name me one item, either an import or an export, mentioned by Elaine or George in this episode. Question 24. The character of Gary Fogel, played by John Lovitz, eventually does die in the series. But what was his manner of death? Question 25. In season 8, Jerry's dentist, Tim Watley, converts to Judaism, which Jerry suspects is only for the jokes. When he expresses his dismay, not as a member of the Jewish faith, but as a comedian, Kramer calls Jerry a rabid what? Question 26. What real-life serial killer did Newman claim to have worked with? Question 27. Well, you've made a long journey from Milan to Minsk. I'm going to name four movie titles, and you tell me if they were fictional movies that came up in the Seinfeld universe or not. First, Aquaphobiac. Second, Chastity's Promise. Third, The Pain and the Yearning. And fourth, Blimp, The Hindenburg Story. Question 28. True or false, John O'Hurley, better known as Jay Peterman, actually owns a portion of the J. Peterman Company. Question 29. You can stuff your saris in a sack, mister. The title of that famous backwards episode of Seinfeld takes its inspiration from a Harold Pinter play, which also uses reverse chronology to convey the story. What is the stellar ninth season episode's actual title? And finally, question number 30. In the Junior Mint... Jerry dates a woman whose name he forgets, but tries to solve the mystery using the only clue he has, that her name rhymes with the name of a female body part. He and George come up with seven possible candidates. Can you name four of them? All right, and moving on to our final segment. So um, I'm going to talk about the language of Seinfeld or the lexicon of Seinfeld. So we all know words you had mentioned before, the double dipping. These are all, these words that I'm going to be talking about are words that are now in our, in our universal lexicon. So words like regifting started mm-hmm. out with Seinfeld, low yes. talker, close talker, double dipping as mentioned before, Festivus, uh, Julia yes. sends a Festivus card every year <laughs> with usually a Frank Costanza quote on it <laughs> and the phrase serenity now. Um, another word that a lot of people use still to this day is yada yada. It actually is the title of an episode. Um, so the episode is one of the most famous of the series specifically for its focus on the phrase. Um, but yada yada was already a relatively common phrase before the episode aired, um, and was used notably by comedian Lenny Bruce among others. Hmm. And the phrase may have originated with the 1950s yakety yak, um, and 1940s vaudeville or even earlier. 
Uh, the phrase can be heard in the background of After the Fire's 1982 version of the song Dear Commissar at the three-minute mark. You know, don't turn around. Uh-oh. Ja, ja. Dear Commissar's in... You don't know the song? The Commissar's in town. Uh-oh. Nope, you're looking at me blankly. Someone tell me that you know this song. <laughs> the phrase was also used by a secretary summing up the boring parts of a letter in the February 16th, 1984 Magnum P.I. episode, The Return of Luther Gillis. Uh, 14 years before the Seinfeld episode in the December 7th, 1989 episode of cheers called feeble attraction. And in the May 13th, 1993 cheers episode, the guy can't help it. And on the May 7th, 1992, the Simpsons episode, Bart's friend falls in love. Bart says, well, Millhouse, tis better to have loved and lost yada, yada, yada. So it was used uh, pretty frequently before Seinfeld, mm-hmm. even like put it into the episodes. Uh, but it became famous worldwide because right. of Seinfeld. Um, a couple of one-liners in the show mm-hmm. come from uh, what's known as the Buddy Rich bus tapes. Buddy Rich was a virtuoso jazz drummer and band leader in the 1960s and 70s but he was arguably best known for the bus tapes of the 1980s. So his temper, mercurial attitude, and imposing personality were documented in secret recordings that his pianist Lee Musiker made during some of his outbursts on tour buses and backstage. And these recordings were long circulated in bootleg form because when he would blow his stack, he would say like the craziest things, but they didn't, they were like non sequiturs. They didn't make any sense. So the tapes were really popular with Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and he used three quotes from them more or less verbatim on Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. So one of them is, if I have to tell you again, we're going to take it outside and I'm going to show you what it's like. And that's from the opposite. (laughs) Uh, this guy, this is not my kind of guy, which is from the understudy. Frank Costanza says that. Okay. And then, then let's see how he does up there without all the assistance from the butter shave when he's talking, when Jerry is talking about Kenny Banya, when he doesn't, oh, when he okay. throws his doesn't. set yeah. so that Kenny does mm-hmm. a bad job. And I remember hearing like the, the studio audience would be like roaring with laughter when they said these things. And I was like, I don't understand why this is so funny. Like they're just yeah one liners and they're f- kind of funny, but apparently like this was so out there. Um, the buddy rich bus tapes that, people could recognize him referring to Mm -hmm. that in the scripts of Seinfeld. And also Jerry Seinfeld is, is well known to be a jazz fan. He makes a lot of references to jazz musicians in his standup and also in the show. Um, so him using the buddy rich bus tapes kind of as like a, I don't know, like an Easter egg in his, in a couple of the episodes, um, was, is kind of telling. So it was interesting. And finally, telling stories in the historical present. So this is sort of a, it's more of a a lexicon. um, Hold on. Let me think of the word. Speech. Talking. Hold on. Linguists. Listen, linguistics. I'm sorry. My brain is like fried. I'm going to start over. And finally, telling stories in the historical present. So this is more of like a linguistic thing, but I found it really interesting. And to be fair, I got most of this information from the Lexicon Valley podcast episode Uh called Then is Now, Now and Then. So the historical present, when you tell a story in the historical present, it's basically when a person tells a historical narrative in the present tense. 
So one of the co-hosts, Bob Garfield on Lexicon Valley, he's a curmudgeon and he finds it to be a tick or an affectation and he deems it unnecessary. And it seems to be a point of contention amongst pedants and language scolds. But um, it's also called the dramatic present. Uh, one interpretation by a linguist, Deborah Schifrin, says that it's used to increase the dramatic impact of the story by making the audience feel as if they were present at the time of the actual experience. Another interpretation is that the narrator becomes so animated by the retelling of the story that they are essentially reliving the experience with the present tense. So why am I talking about this in a Seinfeld ep? It's because it's most impressively and obviously evidenced in the story told by Kramer in the fifth season episode, The Fire, which was written by the writer Larry Charles, where he tells a story about the pinky toe. When his girlfriend gets her toe cut Mm -hmm. off by a street sweeper, and I'm going to insert, I think the story. I think it's only like two minutes. Um, (laughs) it's a, it's a good story. (laughs) So when you're telling a story, I, I find the, uh, historical present to be the most interesting way to tell a story. So you start off. So I was walking down the street yesterday, going to work. And then this guy, this guy comes at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, what are you doing being in my way? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it brings the person into the story And I learned my dad tells stories like this. And my dad is a great storyteller. And I learned how to tell stories from my dad, partially from Seinfeld and partially from my dad. I mean, let's Mm. be honest. So just even just the other day, my dad was telling me about how he had this MP3 player that he had recorded his song for our episode. And he was like, I was trying to charge it and it wouldn't charge. So I I was like, I'm going to plug it back in. And I'm going to watch it and see if it charges even any longer. And he has this thing in his hand. And he's like, so I come up to it and it's even, it's even more dead than it was before. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So finally I grabbed the thing and I turn it over and he opened it up the back and it was two like battery batteries. And it's such a dumb story, but I was like enthralled. I was like, what's (laughs) going to happen with these batteries? So it's essentially what makes it really successful is that, Speaking specifically about Kramer's story about the pinky toe, he starts out in the past tense, then he gradually shifts into the historical present, then switches back and forth between the two towards the end, and then concludes in the past tense. So the purpose of this, purposefully or not, is to divide the story into chronological events. It shifts when one action suddenly intrudes on the previous action. So Kramer's on the bus, and suddenly this guy pulls a gun. That, that's the, mm-hmm. his, he suddenly thrusts you into the historical present. It's called toggling. So it's not just the historical present itself. It's the switching between that makes you like kind of keep up mentally with what's going on in the story. Um, and it's, we, we usually tell simple jokes in the present tense. A guy walks into a bar. You mm-hmm. don't say a guy walked into a bar. It's always a guy walks into a bar and that comes from vaudeville. Okay. Um, it creates a sense of instantaneousness and drama. It's happening now and we don't know what's going to happen mm in the future. So the idea of telling a story in the present is that you're bringing people in on this narrative where you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Even though this person is standing right in front of you, you know that they survived the event. So the pinky toe is a, it's just a great story. It's so funny and so good. Um, especially, um, George's reactions to him where he was like, you're Batman. He's like, yeah, I am Batman. It's just a great episode. Um, so yeah, so that's the language of science. I mean, I'm sure there's more that it's could be more said about that. It's more than just a high talker and low talker. It's more and, than just the high talker and low talker and yada, yada. Yeah. 
Oh, great. So yeah, we filled your brain with lots of Seinfeld things and lots of questions. So um, we'll give you about a minute to kind of chill out and think some of your answers through, and then we will be back with your quiz answers. Back with the quiz answers. Here we go. Okay. Question one. Seinfeld happens to be one of the few television shows that people seem to know precise episode titles, thankfully, because the title usually relates to one of the main plot lines. Out of the show's 180 episodes, only one of them does not begin with the article, the, can you think all the way back to season one and pull it out? Uh, is that male unbonding? It is. The episode was called Male Unbonding, season one, episode four. So in it, Jerry tries to avoid meeting an old childhood friend, Joel Hornick, and Jerry's neighbor, Kramer, conceptualizes a pizza place where you can make your own pie. This was the first episode produced with Elaine Bettis as a character, and it was the first episode to use Jonathan Wolf's title music. Um, while writing season one, the decision was made to name all episodes in this way so that the writers wouldn't waste time trying to think of funny titles and instead make the content of the episode funny. However, this decision was made after the script for Male Unbonding was completed. Jerry Seinfeld later tried to have the title of the episode changed to The Male Unbonding sometime later, but was ultimately unsuccessful okay question number two in the episode the yada yada jerry's recently converted dentist for the jokes tim watley asks his hygienist for a blank of fluoride was it a a schmear b a shtickle c a schlep or d a shalom let's be a shtickle it is a shtickle these are all yiddish terms <laughs> a schmear is like a schmear of like a, a swipe Some of cream like cheese cream cheese on a bagel Shtickle is like a little bit. Uh, a schlep is when you like haul something, mm -hmm. a schlepping something up the road. And a shalom is a greeting. Ah, shalom. <laughs> Question three. On the way to an upstate cabin deep in pie country in season four, what game do George Costanza and his girlfriend Susan Ross end up playing with Donald Sanger? Please, that's Trivial Pursuit. Yes. Donald is the name of the bubble boy who lives in a bubble, but really it's more like a plastic divider. The Trivial Pursuit game ends prematurely when George disputes the answer to the question, who invaded Spain in the 8th century? When Donald answers, the Moors, George reads right from the misprinted card, oh no, I'm so sorry, it's the Moops. The correct answer is the Moops. George refuses to give Donald credit, causing Donald to attack him. And as Susan tries to defend George, she punctures and depressurizes the bubble. It's a good episode. Very, very great episode. Question number four. In the fourth season episode, The Implant, Kramer is convinced he saw Salman Rushdie at his health club, but was using an assumed name. What was this pseudonym? I don't know. It's Sal Bass. Ah. Uh, and he talks Jerry through it, and he's like, 
bass, like the fish, salmon, salmon. Uh, it is the uh, lesser B plot to the A plot with um, the uh, they're real and they're yes. spectacular yes. of Jerry's Sidra. girlfriend. Sidra, yes. Question five. He is a loathsome, offensive brute, yet I can't look away. In the season three episode, The Letter, Kramer poses for a portrait for Jerry's artist girlfriend. An art-loving elderly couple admires the painting. Which of the following phrases is not mentioned by the couple to describe Kramer's portrait? A, a sexually depraved miscreant. B, a stupid hipster doofus. C, an innocent orphan in the postmodern world. Or D, a man-child crying out for love. It is stupid hipster doofus. Yes. Uh, hipster doofus is something Elaine calls Kramer several times throughout the show. Uh, the couple closes out their observation with he transcends time and space. He sickens me. I love it. (laughs) It's great. Okay. Question number six. There have been a lot of recognizable actresses and comedians who have played Jerry's many girlfriends out of the following list. Who hasn't been subject to Jerry's whims? A Terry Hatcher, B Alexandra Wentworth, C, Sarah Silverman, or D, Courtney Cox? It's C, Sarah Silverman. It is Sarah Silverman. She actually played Kramer's girlfriend with the Jimmy legs. With the Jimmy legs. Emily. <laughs> Question seven. In the season three episode, The Library, Jerry learns that he has an overdue library fine that has been compounding since 1971. Who is the author of the book that Jerry failed to return to the New York Library more than 20 years earlier? I... Uh... I'm going to be so mad that I don't know this. Is it Anias Nin? It's Henry Miller. Ah, shoot. So Jerry learns that he never returned Tropic of Cancer, but mm-hmm. swears he returned the book and he was with Sherry Becker, who was wearing an orange dress that day. Jerry then proceeds to look up his high school girlfriend, Sherry, but their memories of that day don't jive. Sherry thought she wore a purple dress, not an orange one, and the book they read to each other was actually Tropic of Capricorn, not mm. Tropic of Cancer. Jerry then remembers that the book he returned to the library was Tropic of Capricorn, and he actually loaned Tropic of Cancer to George, who lost the book. So Jerry ultimately writes a check to pay off his fines and turns it over to Lieutenant Bookman, who has one of the best speeches about libraries ever to grace your TV screen. (laughs) He says, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, you'd better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped. Or maybe that turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks, you and your good time buddies. Well, I got a flash for you, joy boy. Party time is over. It's so good. It's so like film noir, like hard-boiled detective. It's uh, it's a great episode. <laughs> Love it. Okay, question number eight. In the second season episode, The Heart Attack, Jerry wakes up in the middle of the night with an amazing joke that he writes down, which he can't decipher the next day. What was the four-word phrase that he wrote, which was ultimately not that funny? That's flaming globes of Sigmund. It is flaming. Flaming globes! <laughs> uh, the character, he was watching like a sci-fi movie, unnamed sci-fi movie late at night, and... Uh, Larry David actually plays the mad scientist in the scene that he's remembering and he screams flaming globes of Sigmund. Question nine. During season four, George's parents, Frank and Estelle Costanza, are on the verge of getting divorced when some cross phone lines and a wise conversation convince Estelle to stay married to her husband. A woman named Donna Chang helps Estelle change her mind by quoting to her from what Chinese teacher and philosopher? That's Confucius. It is Confucius. Advice from Donna Chang, formerly Donna Changstein. Um, she's not Chinese. She's from Long Island. Uh, and George knows his parents are miserable, but does not want them to get divorced because then there would be twice as many visits for him. Okay. Question number 10. 
Speaking of the heart attack, typically cheap George goes to a holistic healer who has him drink a special tea, which sends him to the hospital after turning what color? Like a purple? Like a reddish purple? It's purple. He screams, I'm purple! (laughs) So it's purple. (laughs) I'll give you that. (laughs) Yeah, he's purple. I got nothing else to say about that. (laughs) Question 11. One of Elaine's memorable boyfriends is Bob Cobb, a conductor who prefers to be called Maestro, even while in street clothes. When Elaine first balks at this, Maestro argues that this man, who conducted the New York Philharmonic, got to be called Maestro, even in social situations. Who is the composer of West Side Story and former director of the New York Philharmonic that the Maestro is emulating? Is it Leonard Bernstein? It is Leonard Bernstein. Um, Maestro says, I happen to know for a fact that he was called Maestro in social situations. I once saw him at a bar and someone came up to him and said, hello, Maestro, how about a beer? Okay, so that's a fact. (laughs) Okay, question number 12. In the seventh season episode, The Wig Master, George has an unwanted house guest, Susan's friend Ethan, who is the aforementioned Wig Master. What Broadway show was he mastering wigs on? Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And he loans the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat to Kramer. Kramer. And then he is mistaken mistaken for a pimp. pimp. Yes. That's very good. (laughs) Question 13. The sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. When George, pretending to be a marine biologist to impress an old college crush, makes his way into the waters toward a beached whale, I tell you, he was 10 stories high if he was a foot. He realizes that something is obstructing the great beast's blowhole. What was the object that George plucked from the great fish, mammal, whatever? Uh, that is a golf ball, specifically a Titleist. Yes, a Titleist golf ball. That is my favorite George monologue uh, of yes, the entire show. Yes. It's so funny. Yes. Yeah, earlier that episode, Kramer acquired a stash of 600 Titleist golf balls from a driving range and decides to practice his driving skills by hitting them into the ocean rather than on a driving range. Mm -hmm. Question number 14. In the sixth season episode, The Mom and Pop Store, George buys John Voight's car, that's John with an H, and sings, Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Driving around in John Voight's car. What real song is he modifying? I have no idea. It's called Everybody's Talkin' by Harry Nilsson. I have been wondering about this song for years, and I just never Googled it. I was like, (laughs) this has got to be, I'm sure it's a real song. And I was sure it was like a musical because George and Jason Alexander both love musicals. Mm -hmm. But it's just a Harry Nilsson song from like the 1970s. I don't think I know who Harry Nilsson is. He was like a short-lived 1970s like folk rock singer. Okay. Get long, feathery hair. Like they all did in the 70s. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Question 15. In the season seven episode, The Hot Tub, Elaine hosts a marathon runner named John Paul, who had previously overslept and missed the Olympic four years ago. Jerry becomes obsessed with making sure John Paul, who hails from the southernmost nation of the West Indies and the Caribbean, will wake up in time for the New York City Marathon. From what country is John Paul visiting to run the marathon? Hint, its capital city rhymes with Elaine. Is it Trinidad and Tobago? It is Trinidad and Tobago, and the capital is Port of Spain. Um, So Jerry lost faith in Elaine's ability to get John Paul to the race in time after learning she's using a faulty alarm clock that caused Jerry to miss a flight, and she has trouble setting timers um, during the episode. So he attempts to persuade John Paul to stay with Jerry instead, but John Paul remains loyal to Elaine and resolves to stay with her. Um, Do you remember why he overslept the first time and missed the Olympics? I don't. Okay. What was it? So... 
so he asks he asks John Paul and he goes, Man, it wasn't the snooze. Most people think it was the snooze, but no, no snooze. And Jerry goes, AM PM. John Paul goes, Man, it wasn't the AM PM. It was the volume. Oh, volume. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very good. Okay. Question number sixteen. In the ninth season episode, The Cartoon, Elaine stays up all night in order to write a New Yorker cartoon, only to discover she subconsciously lifted the joke from what comic? It's a Ziggy. It is. A, it's a Ziggy. I'd recognize it anywhere. That's a Ziggy. <laughs> Ziggy says, the New Yorker is stealing my cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you guys... I'm just going to take a quick break here to say, if you've never watched Seinfeld, this episode is completely... <laughs> on you. I think they would have turned it off. <laughs> That's much okay. Earlier. Well, either way, check out next week. Yep. That'll be more universal. <laughs> Question 17. Europeans with the Beaujolais and Chardonnay. In the season five episode, The Dinner Party, George hates the annoying little chore of bringing something to a party to which they're all invited. Elaine says they can't only bring one bottle of wine. They have to stop at a bakery for a cake too. What food and drink pairing does George say that if he brought, he would become the biggest hit at the party? Uh, Pepsi. <laughs> And Twinkies. Oof. Oh, am I did I did I get the Twinkies no, wrong? Yeah, what was it? It's Ringdings oh, and Pepsi. Ringdings. And you know what? I wrote down I wrote down Dinglings, and I was like, no, that's not a real thing. <laughs> and then I was like, it's got to be Twinkies because I knew it was a diminutive. <laughs> Damn it! All right, George's quote is, "And I got news for you. I show up with Ringdings and Pepsi. I become the biggest hit at the party. People will be coming up to me just between you and me. I'm really excited about the Ringdings and the Pepsi. It's <laughs> pretty good." Okay, question number 18. What was the name of the publishing company that Elaine worked for? That's Pendant. Pendant Publishing. Question 19. They name names. Elaine's boyfriend, Ned, leaves an American Communist Party newspaper at her apartment, and George ends up calling one of the women who posted a personal ad in the paper due to a very enticing line. What's the name of this newspaper, which in real life ceased publication in 1958 due to dwindling membership in the Communist Party USA? I don't remember... It's the Daily Worker. The Daily Worker. Damn. Um, George is excited. He reads this ad. Exciting, uninhibited woman seeks forward-thinking comrade and appearance not important. Appearance not important? This is unbelievable. Finally, an ideology I can embrace. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, question number 20. How many jobs has George had throughout the series? Real, not pretend, and not including his frequent unemployment or the summer of George. I'm just throwing a number out there and I'm going to say seven. It was 11. Okay. He's been a real estate agent, a parking attendant, a pendant publishing manuscript reader, a sitcom writer, a hand model, a bra salesman, a Sanilac sales rep. He worked for the Yankees. He worked for Play Now Sports. He was a computer salesman under Costanza and Son. And he worked finally for Kruger Industrial Smoothing. Kruger, you couldn't smooth your way out of a hot chi with a babe. I lost my train of thought. Question 21. Kramer comes up with the idea for a clone that smells like the beach. He pitches it to a guy in the marketing department of which American fashion house that later, shockingly, produces a cologne called Ocean without giving him any credit. Uh, that is Calvin Klein. It's Calvin Klein. The guy he meets with initially says, do you think people are going to pay $80 a bottle to smell like dead fish and seaweed? That's why people take showers when they come home from the beach. It's an objectionable, offensive odor. Um, When Kramer later confronts him about this, his reaction with Calvin Klein lands him a photo shoot in connection with the cologne Mm -hmm. as an underwear model. It's very good. Calvin Klein himself 
plays himself beautifully where he manages to keep a straight face while Michael Richards is like literally stumbling all over the place in like tidy whities He's like, his, your body, it's so firm. <laughs> Talking about him. Uh, so good. All right. Question 22. What is Elaine Bennis's sister's name? Gail. Gail. Yes. Um, she is mentioned in the episode where Elaine uh, accidentally exposed her own nipple uh, on a Christmas card and uh, her sister calls her angrily because her, her nephew <laughs> has seen it and she can't find it. And she says, well, I don't know, Gail. Check under his mattress. <laughs> <laughs> Question 23. In the episode, The Cadillac, Elaine is George's alibi from Susan so that he can go on a date with Marissa Tomei. Um, Elaine and George concoct the story that he needs to spend time with her to talk out her problems with her boyfriend, Art Vandalay, an importer-exporter. He's thinking of quitting the exporting and just focusing on the importing. Name me one item, either an import or an export, mentioned by Elaine or George in this episode. I do not remember, so I'm just guessing nails. (laughs) That sounds good. Okay, so Elaine says that Art imports chips, potato, but some corn, (laughs) um, and that he exports diapers. Diapers. And George says that Art imports matches. Long matches. <laughs> <laughs> that was close. I was close with the nails. It's, it's a great one. Okay. Question number 24. The character of Gary Fogel, played by John Lovitz, eventually does die in the series. But what was his manner of death? Okay. So I know he faked cancer. He did fake cancer. I think he got murdered. Uh, he died in a car accident. Car accident. <laughs> and they find out at his funeral... Jerry says, was it the cancer? He says, no, it was a car accident. (laughs) Question 25. In season eight, Jerry's dentist, Tim Watley, converts to Judaism, which Jerry suspects is only for the jokes. When he expresses his dismay, not as a member of the Jewish faith, but as a comedian, Kramer calls Jerry a rabid what? (laughs) Anti-dentite. Yes. You're a rabid (laughs) anti-dentite. Kramer says, oh, it starts with a few jokes and some slurs. Hey, (laughs) denty. Next thing you know, you're saying they should have their own schools. They do have their own (laughs) schools. That's so good. Okay, question 26. What real-life serial killer did Newman claim to have worked with? They, okay, so in the show, they actually do talk about a lot of serial killers. They do talk about a lot. They talk about Joel Rifkin. Um, Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Joel Rifkin, so I don't don't know. It's uh, David Berkowitz, a.k.a. the son son of of Sam. Sam. Yeah, because... David Berkowitz was a postal worker, at least for a short period of time. Okay. Yep. Um, question 27, and you can get partial credit for these ones. Oh, okay, great. You made a long journey from Milan to Minsk. I'm going to name four movie titles. You tell me if they were fictional movies that came up in the Seinfeld universe or not. So okay. um, for each one you get right, you get 0.25. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Uh, first, Aquaphobiac. Uh, no. Okay. No, made it up. Uh, second, Chastity's Promise. Uh, no. No, made it up. Yes. Third, The Pain and the Yearning. That's, yes, that's a real fake movie. Yes. Okay. Um, so in the comeback episode, The Pain and the Yearning is a Vincent pick at the video store. It's a 192-minute <laughs> film whose plot is simply an old woman experiences mm. pain and yearning. Kramer notes, that's a lot of yearning. And <laughs> Elaine passes over this film to see Weekend at Bernie's 2, which yep. is a gene pick, prompting Vincent to recommend Betrayed. 
And last, Blimp, the Hindenburg story. That is a yes. Yes. So George sees Blimp, the Hindenburg story in the Puerto Rican Day episode and gets a laugh by shouting out, that's gotta hurt, as the Hindenburg <laughs> explodes. And later, since his car's stuck in traffic, he decides to just go see it again with the hopes of getting more laughter. But his plan is thwarted by a fellow moviegoer who uses a laser pointer to make fun of the film. Uh, that's terrible. <laughs> okay, question 28. True or false? John O'Hurley, better known as Jay Peterman, actually owns a portion of the Jay Peterman company. That's true. That is true. After a 1999 bankruptcy filing, the company persuaded O'Hurley to invest in a relaunch. And I think to this day, he is still like a major shareholder yeah. of the Jay Peterman company, which is kind of amazing. It's very funny. <clears throat> Question 29. You can stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. The title of that famous backwards episode of Seinfeld takes its inspiration from a Harold Pinter play, which also uses reverse chronology to convey the story. What is the stellar ninth season episode's actual title? I don't remember. What is it? You're going to, I'm going to be so mad. It's the betrayal. It's the betrayal. It's the betrayal. Damn it. So, um, Jerry betrays George by having sex with George's girlfriend, Nina. While it turns out that Elaine had previously had an affair with Peter named Pinter in India, mm -hmm. who's marrying her rival friend, Sue Ellen Mishki. This backward chronology begins in India, ending in Jerry's very first meeting with Cosmo Kramer in his apartment 11 years earlier. Nice. And finally, question 30. In the Junior Mint, Jerry dates a woman whose name he forgets, but tries to solve the mystery using the only clue he has, that her name rhymes with the name of a female body part. He and George come up with seven possible candidates. Can you name four of them? Hest. Yes. Mulva. Mulva, yes. Gipple. Gipple. And another one that rhymes with Hest. <laughs> you want to th throw, uh, throw out a guess? Sest. So close. It's in order. Aretha, Celeste, Hest, Bovary, Mulva, <laughs> Mulva Gipple, and Loreola. <laughs> I would argue that Aretha isn't just a lady body part. But. Yeah, men have urethras too. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you 0. 0.75 points on that because okay. you got three. Okay. So. 0.75 points for Julia. All right. We've tallied up our points. Tallied up our points. And our, um, our engineer has also tallied up our points. So how many, how many did you get? I have 9.75. I have 10. So close. You know what? I'm willing to call that a draw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Great. willing to call that a draw. Great. So, um, guys, if you played along and you answered all 30 questions, um, and you're proud of your answers yeah. or you're horrified at your answers. Either way, um, please go ahead and tweet your final score at us. Please we, do. Um, we want to hear how you did. Um, if we should never ask questions about TV shows in this <laughs> manner ever again. It's been around um, a long time. If you liked it, everything. So yeah, tweet us your final score at Miss Info Pod. We'd be excited to hear it. And if and if you don't want to tweet us at Miss Infopod, we have other ways of getting oh, a hold yeah. of us. You can email us at missinfopod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Misinformation or Trivia Podcast. How else can they find us? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have a website, triple dub.missinfopod.com. You can also stream us from uh, our website. We are also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or using our RSS feed for any podcast app that you prefer. Please rate, review, and subscribe, you guys. Tell a friend. Um, and yeah, please let us know how you did on our quiz. Um, please do not 
write down your answers for the quiz while you are driving. Because I know a lot of oh, people listen yeah, to us while true. you're driving. Please be safe. Maybe we should have like preempted that. <laughs> we should have put that oh, well. at the top. Oh, well. We are not responsible for your car accidents, everyone. So um, thanks so much for listening, guys. And thank you so much for, for being... Um, for for being patient with our uh, personal obsessions with Seinfeld, but we know that we are not the only people who love yeah. Seinfeld in a real and powerful way. Yeah. So, and thanks for sticking with us through 50 episodes so yes. far. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys, we thought that this would be like us and our boyfriends and our parents would listen to this. Yeah. And the fact that there are people who we don't know who listen to this <laughs> is <Yeah>. mind blowing <laughs> is like, disturbing on a weird level but also exciting so thank you each and every one of you for listening to our silly little podcast that we do out of julia's dining room yeah so and we'll be back to normal soon we promise (laughs) all right and we'll cut we'll catch you next time we'll catch you next time thanks for listening guys bye 